tell you what i really love that just listening to that ryan uh, lions radio broadcast booth this is a team that i think many people expected to be good especially off the little appetizer we got from the lions last season flirting with postseason legitimacy down the stretch and then they get the week one victory over the chiefs this season now fast forward to where we are going into championship sunday that radio call and anytime you want to get the true feel of a franchise, of a team, of a game, of what the call really sounded like and where the emotion and the passion comes from, always listen to the home radio call. If the home team is victorious like Detroit was last weekend, that's where you get all the romanticism around it. Yes, the winning team, but especially if that team is home, winning a big game, Get the highlights from the home radio broadcast booth because that's where you really get the magic of all of this. And that's a great sound. And that's exactly why I ended the opening package with that call of the Lions game-sealing interception of Baker Mayfield. Folks, this is a Detroit Lions franchise that has never been in a Super Bowl. And they're four quarters away from doing just that. A touch after 7 p.m. on the East Coast this Friday, January 26th. Thank you for... Those tuning in live who are with us on this edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Again, it, it is championship week, and we head into the weekend with that being the main course. All the buildup from the wild card weekend, from the divisional round, leads us to this, which will be that final piece to the meal before we really get into the meat of it with the Super Bowl in two weeks' time on February 11th. It's going to be one of those weekends again where we've got some power players and that's where we'll start with san francisco hosting detroit and baltimore hosting kansas city so what you get here as i'll start with this 49ers detroit matchup san francisco the one detroit the two they'll be the host so detroit's going to go back on the road after hosting not one but two postseason contests playing as good a brand of football as they have maybe ever in the history of a franchise that has had some good teams, that has had some good players, perhaps none better than Barry Sanders. But nothing like this before. And a lot of that can be attributed to the play of quarterback Jared Goff. Now, Brock Purdy was in the MVP conversation for most of this season, as he should have been. Kid played, set passing records in yards, touchdowns, and, and, and yards per attempt. In San Francisco, a franchise that includes quarterbacks like Steve Young, Joe Montana. 
that's pretty impressive when you put him in that ilk and say he's the record setter. Brock Purdy has those records, not Montana, not Young. So that's how good of a campaign Brock Purdy has had. And he was able to do some things late last week against Green Bay that really got a San Francisco team who was struggling offensively over the hump. Now, that those struggles were exacerbated last week in San Francisco once Debo Samuel left the field with what we now know was a shoulder injury. Obviously, didn't know what it was at the time, but knew the severity of it had to be pretty bad and pretty painful for Debo not to come back into the game. But if you backtrack a little bit before we really break this San Fran-Detroit game down, Green Bay had plenty of opportunity to put that game away last week. Opening drive, knocking on the door. They come away with three instead of six. That's huge. That's huge in a regular season game, let alone the playoffs. Birth to the NFC Championship on the line. And this is a Green Bay team that absolutely had their way with Dallas prior to that. Now, you could you could make the case at how good that San Francisco defense was, maybe a touch better than what the Dallas Cowboys were bringing to the table. And that was a Dallas Cowboy team that had a, a physical brand of football on the defensive side for most of the season. So I don't necessarily know if that's part of it. Green Bay just not able to get it done, and it backfired. This is a Packer team that had the lead late, weren't able to get those crucial stops when it mattered. And while the Green Bay defense didn't do its job, I think it would be a disservice to discredit a majority of that coming from what Brock Purdy was able to do on those final drives, specifically the game-winning drive. And Christian McCaffrey is always a nightmare because you have to worry about him not only as a runner, but coming out of that backfield and becoming a receiver. There's similarities with what he can do with what Lamar Jackson does with Baltimore. More on that in a little bit. But the Niners get the win and they move on, which I think many people expected. After they put the beat down on Philly midway through the season, granted it was an exhausted Philadelphia team at that point in their schedule, but the writing was on the wall there because that basically started the Philly collapse. I think most people after that kind of started saying, hey, this is a San Francisco team that should probably be viewed as the favorite to win the Super Bowl. And then they lost by two touchdowns to Baltimore because Brock Purdy threw four interceptions. Worst game of the season that he played, even though you go back and watch it like I did. I don't think all of those interceptions necessarily in that game, those of you who saw it know what I'm talking about, should be credited to Brock Purdy. But that's the nature of the beast in football. So now you've got a San Francisco team that's waiting to see who it's going to play as they host another NFC Championship game, something this franchise has become accustomed to. And while they didn't look all that comfortable, San Francisco was able to make the adjustments needed, holding Green Bay to field goals instead of touchdowns and getting that late game winning drive. Now they know they'll get a Lions team who held off a pesky Tampa Bay team. I mean, you're going through that game into the break, coming into the second half, and you've got a tie or a one-score game back and forth. There were moments in time where the Detroit Lions would put points up on the board and back came Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay. Because, I, again, I said this last week, I don't know that Baker Mayfield is getting the credit he deserves for the type of season that he had. Everybody wants to talk about the Lamar Jacksons of the world, rightfully so. He's going to win the league MVP. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. Well, Baker Mayfield, or Dak Prescott, Baker Mayfield had a damn good year for a Bucs team that most people didn't expect to do much this season. All I did was win the division, host a playoff game, win it in dominant fashion over a good Eagles team that was struggling coming in and then playing a tight game with a very physical Detroit Lions team. And the beauty of this, and you heard it in the passion by the Lions radio team in my opening package, now the best story of the year, outside of maybe the Cleveland Browns, depending on what side of the coin you're on, continues. From the top down, on that field with head coach Dan Campbell, everything they've been able to do in that passing game, getting the running game going when they needed it, a stellar offensive line, and they've been able to win defensive battles up front and in the second level, which helps Detroit because if you've watched them this season, they don't have the greatest secondary in the world. Matter of fact, statistically, it's one of the worst in the league. But they don't look at it as a negative. They find ways to counterbalance that. 
because they have a good linebacker core, because they are good up front, and what they do offensively, when protecting Jared Goff, he can pick you apart. And we've seen that. Josh Reynolds is one of those receivers, when paired against his teammate Amon Ross St. Brown, he won't get that credit. But you've got to know where he is because he burned Tampa Bay a couple times last week, one of which was for a touchdown. So this is now a Detroit team that will go to San Francisco for, folks, what certainly could be the best game of the season. I mean, you've got the Niners, a team expected to be there, right? And against a Lions team who many thought would be better, probably postseason good, but maybe not to this level so quickly in now Dan Campbell's third season as head coach in Detroit. And I'll say it again because it cannot be understated. The Detroit Lions, until a couple weeks ago, hadn't won a playoff game in 32 seasons. Their franchise has never been to a Super Bowl. And if you're a Detroit Lions fan, like I said last week, you're, you're probably a Michigan Wolverine fan in many aspects. Geographically, maybe you went there, you lived there, you root for your local team and local college. How many Michigan Wolverine hats did we see in the crowd the last couple of weeks for the Lions playoff games? And they're four quarters away from having an opportunity to win a championship. Imagine parlaying that as a fan, a Michigan National Championship in college football, and then a Detroit Lions Super Bowl title in the NFL. And they're going to have their chance. When you look at this matchup, now it becomes different. Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox is going to anchor the coverage. Debo Samuel, as I said moments ago, was pulled from the Green Bay game, the divisional round, but he's expected to play against the Lions despite the shoulder injury. Now, obviously, that adds another layer of the the onion to this San Francisco defense. While the role Debo Samuel plays could be limited, it's just another headache for an opposing defense when you consider the fact that it's it's hard enough to stop George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield, especially when Brock Purdy is given the time as a mobile quarterback to release the football. Nice. He made some really good throws last week when San Francisco needed it most. Because I think overwhelmingly, when you watch that game last week, San Francisco didn't do much to make you say, wow, this team is that dominant. This team is that good. The dominant performance last weekend came from Baltimore, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think from the perspective of this San Francisco team, the Samuel injury obviously is a favorable one now for Detroit. I don't think they'd throw him out there as a gimmick. If he's playing, they're going to try to get him the football, but you're going to have to watch because to leave the game like he did last week and not return, there is very obviously a level of severity that cannot be ignored. And all it takes is one hit in this sport. Those of you who played it know it. And obviously San Francisco's offense operates differently without Samuel on the field. So when you look at what this Detroit team offers going on the road as a close underdog, obviously the opportunity is here. The story continues. But this is not a feel-good, let's pick based on emotions, I want to see this continue. Detroit is damn well good enough to win this game on their own uh, metrics. They have the talent to go toe-to-toe with anyone in the league, and they've proved it to this point. The key is going to be up front for Detroit. They're going to see a defensive line and a linebacking core that they have, quite honestly, have not seen with any level of consistency this season. You have to be able to protect Jared Goff. Now, Detroit's got a good offensive line, and he's going to need it against the ferocious first and second levels of San Francisco. Because if they can't protect him, what that means is he's not able to get the football to the phenomenal rookie tight end Sam Laporta. He's not able to get the football to Amon Ross St. Brown, who's a matchup nightmare for any opposing secondary. Not protecting him means he won't look for or be able to get the football to Josh Reynolds in the red zone. Problematic. This is a Lions team that relies 
on that cohesiveness as all teams should with that upfront unit. And if they're not able to keep Goff upright, it's going to be a problem. It's a Niners defense that if you've watched them this season, love to bring the pressure. They will disguise packages over and over. And they'll make you think. And they'll keep you on your toes because they are a physical defensive team. They want to hit you. And they want to hit you and hurt you. And late in that game, when they needed to the most, they were able to do that last week against Green Bay. Granted, a somewhat underwhelming performance, I would say, overall. And I don't think I'm too off base saying that. But this is a 49ers team that will be the most physical team Detroit has seen to this point in the season. And if they don't protect Goff in the trenches, it could be a long day for Detroit in San Francisco. That being said, I do think Goff is protected and the magical run for Detroit continues. This is going to be a hell of a football game. Quite honestly, I think the AFC Championship, which I'll segue to momentarily, is going to be awesome as well. I'm going to go Lions here. I've been on the bandwagon. I get it. So many of us have. But from a talent perspective, they can get it done. They just beat a really good Bucks team. They won a division that became, I think, a little more competitive than people thought it was early in the season. They're tested. They've got the emotion and the confidence with them. And they've got a quarterback who still is not getting the credit deserved, but is playing as high a brand of football as any person playing that position right now, probably outside of Lamar Jackson. Detroit, 27, San Francisco, 24. I mean, you're set up for magic each time we get to the conference final week. I think you're going to see some this week in San Francisco. All right, let's talk a little bit about Kansas City going to Baltimore. I fell for it in the beginning of the postseason because Kansas City, to a certain extent, came limping into the playoffs, didn't they? We talked about all year how they've had wide receiver wide receiver deficiency, and that can't be understated. This is a team on multiple occasions, ironically enough, week one against Detroit, where lousy wide receiver play. And I am specifically talking about going over the middle, being wide open, having Patrick Mahomes basically hand a receiver the ball, and it gets dropped. Whether it was MVS, Tony, Rasheed Rice early, who has become a revelation, by the way. I don't mean to hammer the kid. He's been magnificent lately. But this was a team that was plagued by the drops underwhelming offensively, especially when they weren't able to get Travis Kelsey involved at times. And then when Kelsey was gone with injury, a completely different offense when Travis Kelsey is not there. And I'm not saying anything that you don't already know. That's stating the obvious. So I took debate coming into the playoffs and said, you know what? I think the Dolphins are going to beat Kansas City. I wasn't buying the Chiefs. Stupid me. Like so many other people, you don't pick against Patrick Mahomes. You just don't do it. And then what did I do last week? I actually thought the Buffalo Bills were going to get that done. And if it wasn't for sheer stupidity, and I'm not a person who looks forward to being mean and ragging on guys who do things that, quite honestly, I just can't do, right, as professional athletes or professional head coaches, the Buffalo Bills did unimaginably stupid things last week to cost them that football game against Kansas City. And it, it is another layer in this where now the, the, the mentality will be, the water cooler conversation will be, this is a Buffalo franchise that absolutely, 100%, undeniably, cannot beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. Because we've seen it three times now in humiliating fashion, all three times. This is a Buffalo Bills team that ran a fake punt to DeMar Hamlin, who, who has played about 15 snaps all season and got stuffed on fourth down deep in their own territory. As a home team in the playoffs while trailing. That's insanity to me. 
And it, by the way, if you didn't see the play, it wasn't even close. That's not a knock on Hamlin either. Guy came back from basically being dead to play in the National Football League again. But running a fake punt from your own territory in the fourth quarter, no less, with still 13 minutes left, was a blunder of epic proportions. It didn't turn to points for Kansas City, but that's not the problem. Poor decision-making in crunch time on big scales with the Buffalo Bills has been a problem. And this is a team similar to Kansas City in spots, specifically earlier in the season, that couldn't get out of its own way. Too reliant on Josh Allen. And they finally figured that out, that they had to develop a running game, and they did that to an extent with James Cook. But the Buffalo Bills, while Kansas City proved to be the better team last week, that's an instance of absolutely beating yourselves. Because what did it come down to for the Bills last week? An opportunity to have a game-tying field goal with less than two minutes in the game. So kudos for putting yourself in position to kick that 40-some yarder. But not for being able to get that ball closer into the red zone. And here's why. Because Tyler Bass was a struggling kicker coming into that game. A guy who had consistently made big kicks was basically coming into the playoffs and into that game limping. He had been wildly inconsistent. And what does he do? He misses wide right. Two words Buffalo Bills fan absolutely despise. Wide right. And part of the reason for that was lousy decision-making earlier in the game. Taking time off the clock when you just don't need to. That lunatic call to run that fake punt. And not being able to do anything to even remotely slow down Travis Kelsey. When healthy, when playing good football, Travis Kelsey might be the greatest tight end to ever play in the National Football League. When he's healthy and when he's on and they've got the rapport clicking between he and Mahomes, he is virtually impossible to stop. But there were instances in that game one of them being a touchdown, which you heard in the opening package, where no one was even near Travis Kelsey. How does that happen? How are you the number two seed in the AFC playoffs and you cannot account for the most dangerous person on the football field? That's coaching and that's decision making. I just gave you three instances of how Buffalo pissed away that game because they were absolutely rolling coming into that one. And they had everything on their side, including old Uncle Mo. You have the wild fan base. The snow was a great story. They were paying people to come in and shovel it out. People were sitting on piles of snow because it just wouldn't stop. The emotion was there in the building, and you could see the emotion from the team. A couple lousy decisions through that game completely sucked the energy out of that building, and you could see it sucked the life out of the Buffalo Bill players. And I will not be convinced otherwise because you could see it. You could absolutely see it. And the way I'm talking, Buffalo might have lost that game by 20 because it was another heartbreaking loss to a team that right now, as constituted, they just cannot beat in a big spot. Kansas City's got their number, and Buffalo's playing mental games, unfortunately, right now, with itself. And it's something Sean McDermott and company are going to have to figure out. Because you move forward, there's a hell of a lot of talent on this team. And the problem with that is, in the AFC, you're going to have to deal with Patty Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. As good as Josh Allen is, that's a problem. And you might have a, a year next year where the Jets have a healthy Aaron Rodgers in the AFC. That's a problem. You've got Justin Herbert, who's going to have Jim Harbaugh coaching him in LA. That's a problem. The time was now for Buffalo after doing everything right to come out of a mid-season swoon 
beating the Dolphins to win the division. This was a team that was flirting with not even making the playoffs, and then they went on a run, became the two seed. And they still, with everything in their favor, could not get past the Kansas City Chiefs team, and they had opportunities to put them away. And when you screw around against the likes of Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and oh, by the way, Andy Reid, another Hall of Famer, that's three Hall of Famers in one sentence right there. You're going to get burned. And that is exactly what happened. I bet you there were moments after that game where to themselves, members of the Kansas City Chiefs teams probably sat down and say, wow, we stole one there. And they played good football. But you talk about mental mistakes. That was a professional. I mean, Buffalo could have written a resume on what not to do. Last week against Kansas City. And now you've got a KC team that's going to go to Baltimore. And we're and and this is what's really exciting about this. We've seen Mahomes and Allen. We've seen that matchup multiple times. We've seen Mahomes and Burrow. Joe Burrow, by the way, coming back healthy next year. That adds another element of this. at The dominance of the AFC quarterback position. But now we're really in for a treat. You've got the two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time league MVP, Patrick Mahomes, going on the road for just his second road playoff game against Lamar Jackson, who is going to win another league MVP. This is what you want. You've got the fun, physical matchup in the NFC, and now you've got the electrifying in the AFC. You cannot ask for anything more. And I know what the headaches are if you've got a rooting interest in this. As a Giant fan with the big games they played, I know it's a nightmare for you there. But as a football fan, you cannot ask for anything more than this. Because now we'll see, can Lamar Jackson get that spot in the Super Bowl and do it over a guy whose resume to this point in his career, still as a young man, is right up there with some of the greats. And before we get into breaking down this matchup between the Chiefs and the Ravens, Mike's on the line. Mike, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, Pete, how you doing? What's going on? Okay. I tell you, I still can't believe Buffalo lost that game. I mean, if I live to be 100, I'll never understand the fake punt. You know, that's what a weak team does against a team that's so much better than them. You take a chance. Goodness that, gracious. That was an instance in a game with 12-plus minutes left where it it was just something that it, it, it was not rolled out properly. It was not run properly. It, and the end result was not even close to moving the chains. I just something that you would, you want to be creative and, and move your way down the field in unique ways and throw out some trick plays. I mean, nobody does that better than Dan Campbell with the Detroit Lions, especially when it comes to trickery on third and fourth down. But that right. was just a moment in the game that made – it's stunned. You go back and watch the watch the broadcast. It absolutely stunned Romo yeah. and Nance because of the sheer stupidity in the moment. And so I I'm with you, you there. If I if I was the Buffalo owner, my opinion, I would hire Belichick tomorrow. I know he's seventy two years old, but I'd have enough of this. I well, now you sound, now you sound like Rex man. Ryan because <laughs> <laughs> Rex Ryan came out and said that Bill Belichick would be a good fit in Buffalo. Bill Belichick be really? a good fit anywhere. The problem is Buffalo's got a head coach right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But Mike, yes, I, I'm I'm absolutely with you. And and as always, thank you, uh, thank you for the phone call. Um, look, there's it's going to boil down to better decision making because we've seen this, we've read this book with Buffalo before, and you read the same book over and over. No matter what happens, the ending is still the same. Buffalo's got to write a new script. Because we've seen this too many times. So they're out. KC moves in. And it, you, you're really not getting any, folks, you're not getting better than Mahomes against Jackson. And now the challenge is going to be for Patrick Mahomes. Who, who, What hasn't he lived up to in his career, right? But this might be the toughest test that he's had postseason-wise since he's come to the league. Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, I get it. The Eagles last year in the Super Bowl, I get it. But now he's not only going up against the presumed MVP this year in Lamar Jackson, 
who accounted for four touchdowns last week in a blowout victory over Houston, two of them coming in the fourth quarter. Two passing, two rushing touchdowns for Lamar Jackson last week. So while the Kansas City and Mahomes will have to deal with that Mahomes as a spectator, you go up against the number one scoring defense. And all you have to do is if you want to talk about some of the elite offenses that Baltimore has seen this season, you can throw Houston into that mix. Because the way C.J. Stroud and company were coming into that game, you, you talk about teams that are rolling, like the Buffalo Bills were, like the Lions and the Niners have been. The Houston Texans were a freight train. After completely dismantling the Cleveland Browns the week prior, C.J. Stroud and company came in ready to roll offensively, and they were tied at 10 at the half, down 17-10 after third, and then it was just a complete takeover by that Baltimore defense and specifically Lamar Jackson. Now this number one ranked defense for Baltimore will have a different animal in this Kansas City offense, you would think. Travis Kelsey, Rishi Rice playing very well, Isaiah Pacheco running as hard as he has all season and being another weapon for Patrick Mahomes. And while the passing game for Kansas City has been better, even outside of Travis Kelsey, drops remain an issue there. If you're not going to be able to consistently run the football in Kansas City, and Pacheco's been good. I'm not saying that. I just said it a moment ago. You're going to have to limit or completely eliminate mistakes in the drop passes. Because miscues against a team like Baltimore will get you burned. Point out a weakness on this Ravens defense. I don't think there are any. And when you flip that and look at the offense and say, hey, you know what? This is an offense that's going to get Mark Andrews back to pair him with the young tight end and Isaiah Likely. That's another weapon for Lamar Jackson. Andrews was his biggest target a year ago. And you've got the rookie Zay Flowers to go over the top who seems to get better week after week. Baltimore's a problem. It's easy to say to win the turnover battle in any contest. But I don't think truer words have been spoken than in a matchup like this. Because you've got the sexy appeal, right? Jackson-Mahomes, the quarterback battle. The underappreciated Kansas City defense coached by Steve Spagnolo, One of the best to ever do it from the coordinator spot. And then this season's brand of Ravens defense, which is right up there with the best they've ever had, including that 2000 team that won the Super Bowl. While there are spots that Kansas City might be able to move the ball consistently, can they move it enough and not get away with just field goals, but touchdowns? I'll do it again for the third week in a row. And it's not what I did week one of the postseason when I went Dolphins over Chiefs. Because I, I think we all know enough now when you watch Patrick Mahomes, especially this time of the year, right, in the playoffs, you don't sleep on him. But there's just a different brand and a different level of football that I like Baltimore playing with. The way they absolutely ripped apart Houston last week was impressive. And they get another crack at a big-time team at home with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Ravens, 31. Chiefs, 28. So I've got Detroit by three over San Fran, and I'll go Baltimore by three over Kansas City. This is, outside of probably the Super Bowl week, the best week of the season, especially if you don't have a rooting interest. You can kick back, put your feet up, get something cold to drink, and watch really good football. Because as good as I think that San Francisco-Detroit game is going to be, Kansas City-Baltimore, from a football fan perspective, is nothing short of a dream matchup.
It's Mahomes. It's Jackson with a trip to the title game on the line. Doesn't get any better than this. Absolutely does not get any better than this. With that, we got our next caller on the line. Vin, what's up, man? Hey, Pete. How are you? What's going on, buddy? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. No, and everything's everything's good. Uh, looking forward to the game Sunday. I think it's the Ravens' year. It looks like it's the Ravens' year. They look so good. They just they're solid. They came out that second half on defense, and Houston couldn't do a thing. I just oh. I still don't see Kansas City firing on like they were. I think the Ravens are just they're too strong. They make really good adjustments. I think they're just a much better team. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and Frisco had no business winning that Green Bay Green Green Bay game. I got to say something about that game. Yeah, the spots that the referees were giving Green Bay that game, they had a they they would have won up 14 points in the first half. They got such a bad spot on a quarterback sneak. Yes. And yes, he didn't even challenge it the first one, and you could I, I see couldn't was- believe that. I was thinking the same thing early in the first quarter. There was a, a they went for it on fourth, and and, and it was a and solid was- yard. But now, nah, yeah, the but top, they were off seven, nothing already. It looked and good it was, to me, and it was like on the ten yard line too. I mean, yeah. I and then they gave him another bad spot, and they challenged it, and they won the challenge. I don't know what the hell was going on with these. I've, I've been, like, really paying attention to the referee's spot in the ball lately, and some of these spots are like, you know what? You know what's amazing? It's how the guy could touch the goal line and be, like, eight, two yards away, and they'll call it a touchdown. But on first downs, it's not the same. When they go for first downs, they always move the ball back. You, it's, know, what, you it's, know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's and it's been, a, it's been a problem that has now started to come up. It, it's been in different reports. It's been there. There's coverage on this, and people have started to really seethe over this because you can see it on TV. And then the other layer is something that you mentioned that I that I think is a, is a, is a, is a real crucial point here is coaches aren't challenging these things. Now I don't no. know if the, if they're being told from the headsets up above, or they're just so deathly afraid that they're not going to win that challenge and and lose the timeout. So it's it's almost you're in an untenable spot there, lose lose if you will. Something's it's going a, it's on a problem the league has, Vin. Something's going on with football. Something is going on with all this, uh, this all this sports betting. There's something going on. I think football is. I mean, I've been saying it for years, but I, I just this sport is fixed. This sport is. There's something. Something really, really bad's going on. But I just see things that some of these calls are just out of control really really is out of control there are a I lot mean, of you, people that share that sentiment that and it's become a thing on social media where they they call it the nfl script it's a real thing and whether you buy into it or not i'm not saying any of it's true or not true that it is out there that say people are saying things are happening while it wasn't part of the script i mean even even that verbiage should be enough as powerful as the nfl is to put at least a little bit of fear into them to say you have you people want, that think your product is rigged. I want you to go back and watch all of Josh Allen's interceptions this year. Some of them he's throwing to ghosts. It's it's amazing. Some of them he's throwing to ghosts. I just want to touch on one more thing go ahead. on this coaching coaching carousel. Sure. I mean, it was supposed to be a done deal about Belichick in Atlanta. Exactly. I think he sits out one year. And he's coming to New York, either the Jets or the Giants. At, at seventy-three years old, he's still got a lot left in the tank. And I think and, he's. I think if the Giants have a bad year, Dable's gone, and Belichick's coming back home. Or with the Jets, I think he's. Aaron Rodgers gets out of there, and Belichick's going back to the Jets. I think he would love nothing more to do than rub it in New England's face and win a Super Bowl with the Jets. Could you imagine? Oh my God, he'd be a god if he did that. Forget it. You win a Super Bowl with the Jets because you know he wants to win a Super Bowl without Brady. That of course. is a thousand percent. But if he could do it with the Jets, I'm. What's his face? So who's the owner of the Jets? I got to keep forgetting his name. Woody Johnson. Woody Johnson would hire him in a second. 
<laughs> you would think. No, what jobs are open right now? Just Washington? And what else? Ca- uh, Carolina. Uh, no, you get, go Carolina. No, Carolina got a coach. They signed. Oh, that's uh, right. Uh, you get the, the the Redskins, the Commanders. Atlanta just went with Raheem Morris. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's L.A. until Bel- they went with Harbaugh. Yeah, I think Belichick just there's no real spot for him to win right now. I think he sits out. I I really think the Jets that is gaining a lot of momentum with the Jets. The so Salah is going to be probably fired. I mean. You never know if they start talking this summer. He might be coach next year. The Jets, how the Jets are going back into the next season with this coaching staff is beyond ridiculous. Yeah. It's, well, it's, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even get it. It's beyond ridiculous. Well, listen, we'll have, and Vinny, as always, I appreciate the phone call, but yeah, we'll have plenty of time to talk about, uh, what the jets and what the future might hold for them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with these, with these jobs that were open and that was where I was going next with some of the news from around the NFL, um, starting with Bill Belichick, it looked like it was going to be a good marriage there with the Atlanta Falcons meeting twice with owner Arthur blank. And I think that based on what the reports that I've read, um, and Dave Canales, by the way, is the, is the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers, the former bucks offensive coordinator. Um, Bill Belichick's desire to basically have total operational control uh, is most likely what steered Atlanta away from him or Belichick away from Atlanta when they were basically told when he and his team were said, that's really not how we're going to roll. So Atlanta goes with Raheem Morris to take the head coaching reins. Uh, Bill Belichick still out there, still a free agent. Um, The interesting thing was that Belichick was also rumored to be tied to the Los Angeles Chargers who, as we learned earlier in the week, have made Jim Harbaugh uh, their next head coach. Uh, terms of the deal, still not known. But what's interesting, you, you think about uh, some of these buyouts that are tied at the hip to these coaches when they leave universities. Uh, for example, Kalen DeBoer leaves Washington after a runner-up finish in the country this year, goes to Alabama. There's a $12 million buyout that DeBoer himself is responsible for, for leaving Washington. Michigan is only owed a measly $1.5 million for the Harbaugh buyout. And that's that's a nickel to an NFL franchise. So the Chargers have no problem there. But they're getting a coach who comes back as actually the active leader uh, in NFL win percentage as a coach from his time with San Francisco, where he led them to a Super Bowl and lost to his brother, John, uh, with, the, with the Baltimore Ravens a few years back. But this is a guy, look, You've got the coaching resume in Harbaugh. Nobody's saying that. Three straight college football playoff appearances, won a national title with number one ranked Michigan this year, completing a 15-0 season, has gotten Ohio State's number the past few seasons, which is like winning a mini national championship uh, in Ann Arbor. And the thing is now, as he moves back to the NFL, you cannot dismiss the controversy surrounding him. It's one thing to serve an in-season suspension for X amount of games. It's a completely different animal to have it happen twice. Jim Harbaugh served two separate three-game suspensions this season. And, And outside of the initial penalties that came down, where you had assistant coaches fill in, Part of the suspension, Harbaugh was able to be in the building. He was up in the press box. Other part of the suspension, he was not able to be around the team. Not really making all of that big a deal out of it is a problem. I don't think it was the most appropriate response by the NCAA. I've said that numerous times on this program. Despite how good of a coach he is, and no one's saying that he's not, from coaching in the college ranks and starting with Josh Johnson, was his quarterback at San Diego, to working with Andrew Luck in Stanford and taking that Stanford football program to heights that they hadn't seen in decades, then doing everything he did with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco to take them to a Super Bowl and reinvigorate that legendary franchise, and then on to Michigan, where he played his collegiate ball. The guy's a winner. He wins everywhere he goes. But now he's got this shred of controversy tucked in his back pocket as he comes back to the National Football League. And I don't think it's something that can be or should be ignored. Now, will further penalties come from Michigan moving forward? Probably. 
and this is where it, it, it usually gets annoying for many people, you're going to penalize a program that will probably have many, many new student athletes on it whenever this happens, if more sanctions come down, and those kids will be penalized when they weren't even part of the team when this happened. And there's Jim Harbaugh who's going to get millions and millions and millions to go coach a national football team, national football league team. So Harbaugh goes to the Chargers. Belichick's still on the market. Mike Raheem Morris takes that Atlanta job. The Philadelphia Eagles moved on from both their OC and DC. Vic Fangio is going to come over from the Dolphins to take over for Sean Desai, who's been on an interview circuit with a couple of teams, supposed to meet with the Giants for their defensive coordinator position after Wink Martindale left. Um, so they they act quickly to bring Fangio in, who's got a big resume. Those of you who follow the league know um, as a coach, a head coach and defensive coordinator. And you're, if you're looking at who might replace Brian Johnson, the former Eagles OC, Jim Bob Cooter is the name that stands out to me. He was a consultant with Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach, who will stay. He's going to get an opportunity to clean up this mess. Those two worked together in Philly in 2021. And you can probably link Frank Reich, the former Colts and Panthers uh, head coach, to this role as well. Um, it's something that's interesting. It's going to be worth watching uh, because it's a high-magnitude franchise that is is a is a year well now two years removed from playing for a Super Bowl and basically being a play away from winning the second Super Bowl in franchise history. Uh, you know, you probably the Eagles are still on the up here, despite this nosedive that just ended uh, their past campaign. Um, but you shouldn't think it would take all that much to get back on the right track with the talent that they have. But this is a crucial hire to get the offensive coordinator position locked down and done right. Speaking of positions, uh, position coaches, Giants, Michael, Michael Gabriel as a, their special teams coordinator. He comes over after three seasons as an assistant uh, with the Jets. And everybody's going to say, well, you hired a coach from the Jets. It's irrelevant when you look at the records. Jets finished 7-10 and 10 last season, Giants 6-11. and 11. But when you look at the Jets from a special teams perspective, they were top three in the big categories. That's huge when you're talking about how to successfully operate that phase of the game. And Gobriel brings that brand with him. Now he's going to get a crack to run the operation himself. Um, so that is, with all the news that's come out, in the National Football League. Do I think Harbaugh and the Chargers are a good fit? Yeah, probably. I mean, the guy's won everywhere he's gone. He's familiar with the West Coast brand. And now he's going to get a quarterback who he's raved about in the past in Justin Herbert. Can you keep Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, elevate the defense? Work around some cap issues that they, they're probably going to have. Now, I don't think this has to be a nightmare rebuild in L.A., especially when you bring in the coach with the credentials, at least the wins and losses credentials of a Jim Harbaugh. Belichick, it's interesting. Vinny makes a good point. Maybe he sits out a year. Maybe he steps away. Atlanta looked like it was the perfect fit until it wasn't. So we'll see what happens there um, as we continue to move forward with this season and then shortly into the offseason, uh, which will be uh, right around the corner with that April NFL draft. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. All right, just some news and notes from around uh, the world of sports. You continue to got a pulse on college basketball. And again, once the NFL season ends and we can lock into more hockey and basketball, we're going to do just that. Uh, I've been raving about UConn as a defending national championship, uh, national champions. And you know how high I am on Houston. Houston bounces back from two losses and gets a huge win over BYU a couple nights ago. And I'll tell you what, in the ACC, as talented as it is, if you haven't sat down to watch a North Carolina game, it looks like that Carolina brand of basketball is back. 16-3 and three overall, ranked third in the country, and they just continue to pump out victories. Since back-to-back -back losses to UConn and Kentucky, North Carolina has reeled off eight in a row. Wins over a good NC State team, a good Clemson team, a pesky Pitt team, and a really good Oklahoma team. So this is a North Carolina team that's firing on all cylinders right now. 
And you put them right up there with these exciting teams to watch. Obviously, the defending champs. Purdue is right up there. It looks like you can take them seriously. Tennessee has played about as difficult a schedule as you can. And I have navigated it so far to the tune of a 14-4 and record and a top five ranking in the country. And Creighton's playing good ball. Dayton is 15-2 and as they continue to rattle off wins. And how about this Iowa State team? And when you look at what they're able to do, 15 and four, second in the Big 12 right now. Uh, and they've got some good wins on their resume as well. Tough loss a couple nights ago to, to BYU, but they've got that marquee win over Houston when Houston was number two in the country. This is an Iowa State team that is dangerous, and we're going to learn a lot more about them this weekend when they host number seven, Kansas. Kansas is middling a bit. Uh, you're used to Kansas being in that top three, and I think they're a legitimate title contender. But this is a Kansas team right now, ranked seventh, and they're going to go to Ames for a 130 showdown on CBS um, this Saturday, January 27th, with Iowa State. I mean, if, if you're looking for something to watch outside of the AFC and NFC championship games, this Iowa State-Kansas game is going to be one hell of a college basketball game. I mean, really, at this point in the season, with Kansas 16-3, Iowa State 15-4, and and Iowa State as the host. You know, Iowa State's favored in the game, which you don't see all that much when you've got a perennial power in a team like Kansas. 3-2 and two over their last five. Bad loss to West Virginia and a bad loss to UCF. So Kansas can be had. When you look at this Iowa State team, they've won 4-5. Kansas State, good win. TCU, very good win. Lost by 15 to a really, really good BYU team and then bounced back and took down Oklahoma State and Houston, who I like as a legitimate Final Four contender. So outside of the football on Sunday, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, Saturday, 1.30, CBS, going to be a hell of a game. Um, and as we talk moving forward more about the NBA, it's time to really start taking the New York Knicks seriously. Since bringing in OG Ananobe from Toronto, this has been a completely different team. And you saw that Thursday night where the Knicks beat the defending champion Nuggets by 40 in surgical fashion. The Knicks are not going to be an easy out. Are they a legitimate title contender as constituted? Probably not. But when you look at the makeup of the Knicks and see what they've done to this year, Blowout win, Denver, hammered Philly, and they've picked off Milwaukee, just to name a few of the profile high-profile teams they've beat this season. In a seven-game series, the New York Knicks are a legitimate tough out because surrounding Randall, who's having a good year, Brunson, who does it all, with the likes of an Anunobi, who can do it on both ends of the floor, why not take the Knicks seriously? Would it be enough to get them in a full potential conference final series over a Boston Celtics, who appear to be the best team in the league? Maybe not, especially with the way Tatum's playing lately. But who knows? The point is the Knicks are winning games, not only that they should be winning, but they're going toe-to-toe with playoff contending teams and winning these contests. And that's good to see. There's a legitimate brand of basketball being played at Madison Square Garden. We've seen it develop the last couple seasons with playoff berths. But the Knicks definitely have something cooking right now because they are rolling and they are doing it convincingly. You'll have a new uh, Pro Baseball Hall of Fame class in 2024. Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer all get the call to Cooperstown. Now, not without, I guess, some controversy. Adrian Beltre had the, the years, and from age 31 to 37, not only was he healthy, 145-plus games, he hit for average, he hit for power, and defensively was a wizard. So that's why Beltre, plus when he, when, when he got out of Seattle, he was able to increase his brand. Joe Maurer statistically matches up with some of the great catchers, granted in a smaller sample size, but multiple top 10 finishes in the MVP race. He's got an MVP to his credit. Now, you can't really, at least in my opinion, make too much of an argument against Maurer. 
Where it gets interesting for a lot of people will be with Todd Helton. How much are the numbers padded because he played in Colorado? But the career 316 batting average looks damn good today, doesn't it? I've seen a couple people make that point. Especially when it's home run or bust or focusing more on metrics today. This was a 300-plus hitter throughout his career. Now, with the numbers coming out of Colorado, lack of postseason success, why someone like Todd Helton and maybe not a Don Mattingly who played the same position, why someone like a Todd Helton and not a Jeff Kent who was offensively dynamic as well. Look, this is a, this is a committee that the voters who, again, I sort of defended it last year with the induction of Scott Rowland. It's, it's a funny bunch. The BBA, the Baseball Writers of America who come together and vote for these things. You know, I don't overwhelmingly have too much of a problem with any of these guys. They are legends of the sport. Don Mattingly was a legend. He's not a Hall of Famer. Jeff Kent was a legend. Not a Hall of Famer. The one of the three that I might have something of a grievance with or a gripe would be Todd Helton. And not to just go with the flow of what most people are saying. It is a different animal to hit a baseball at Coors Field in Colorado. But Maurer gets in, Beltre gets in, and Helton get in, and they, they are going to Cooperstown. Final thought here, the Australian Open is taking place. You got the women's final, Chin Wing Jung against Arena Sabalenka, the defending Open champion. That's going to be Saturday, the 27th, 3.30 a.m. on ESPN. The ladies' draw has been great. You're going to get a matchup now of two of the top 12 players in the world. And then the men's final, no Novak, no Carlos. You've got Yannick Sinner, who took down Djokovic in the semis, and Novak, prior to that, had won 10 Australian Opens. And he's going to go up against Daniil Medvedev, who rallied from two sets down to topple Alex Zverev uh, in the semifinals. The men's final will be January 28th on ESPN. That time is still yet to be announced. Um, but that, you got two interesting finals there. The men's, I, I fully expect Sinner um, and Medvedev to go the full five. And I think Jung and Sabalenka, while I like Sabalenka to get it done, I think that is a three-setter as well. Unless she just comes out absolutely balling with the powerful serve and is able to get back and forth up in that net, uh, I would think both of these matches go the distance. Well, you know what is at stake this weekend? Oh, actually, before I forget, this is a cool story. It comes out of the college football world. Former Citadel kicker Eric Goins is, is going to kick as a walk-on at the University of Notre Dame. Well, you say, why is that interesting? Well, part of the reason that it's interesting is that he's 30 years old. Well, why is a 30-year-old able to kick in college? Well, he still has eligibility. And the reason that Goins is going to compete for the Notre Dame kicking job this next season is because after he kicked for the Citadel in the 2015 FCS playoffs, he then immediately enlisted into the United States Army and served seven years, spent time training Ukrainian soldiers, and became a captain. So he's got eligibility left, wants to come back. He's going to enter a two-year Masters of Business program at ND. And yes, he's going to compete with Mitch Jeter, who, the Giants, uh, who Notre Dame just received as a transfer from South Carolina for the kicking job. Track record was good at the Citadel, an All-Southern Conference kicker and a punter. He's got a big leg. I mean, he's 30 years old, but he's got eligibility left, and he wants to parlay this opportunity to go into Notre Dame's MBA program as a military veteran to increase his approach and his brand once he's done with school to pick up that degree to then work in federal government, which he said he wants to do, um, is why Notre Dame was the fit. So they get the walk-on kicker, not unusual. Competing for a job, not unusual. 30 years old, extremely unusual. But then you add in that layer of the, he spent the last seven years serving in the U.S. Army. Hence why the eligibility is still there while the college career was on hiatus as he was serving the country. 
You got the conference championships this week. Again, I like the Lions by three. I like the Ravens by three. Mahomes, Jackson, it's happening. And it's going to be nothing short of magical. You know how to follow the platform, Podbean, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeart, TuneIn. You can subscribe across the board. I'll talk to you all next weekend when we break down everything that took place in the AFC and NFC championship games. And then we got a two-week break before the Super Bowl, February 11th. It's going to be a good one regardless of who's in. Again, I like the Lions. I like the Ravens. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy college football. Enjoy college basketball and the NFL games. I'll talk to you all next week. Same time, same place, right here on Sports Today with Peter J. As always, have a great weekend and go Irish. Listen to Sports Today with Peter J. Every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We'll see you there.